Welcome to another season of Feminist in Progress. Today, I have Jordan Cruz, who just graduated from Gonzaga in December. So welcome, Jordan. Hi, Leah. I'm glad to be here. I'm so happy you're here. It's so good to see you, even though it's virtually and not in the NSFP office. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe that's a Um, good thing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So just give us a freshman year intro about you. I am originally from Pueblo, Colorado, born and raised. It's grew up there my whole life. My whole family's from there. So it was kind of a big deal when I left and came to Gonzaga because it's about an 18-hour drive uh, that I've done now six or seven times. So I'm very familiar with it. But I graduated with a degree in environmental studies in Spanish, and my minor was in sustainable business. It was going to be an econ, but I quickly realized two classes in that I was not that kind of girl boss. So sustainable business it was. I never visited Gonzaga. I just kind of felt it, and I did it uh, really late. I think I committed, uh, what was it, like the, almost the second to last day that I could in April or May or whatever it was, um, and I never visited, and the first time I saw campus was on like August 28th of 2019 for freshman orientation. That's crazy. I saw that LinkedIn post because that's the first time I had heard that story, And I thought, wow, she didn't even like check out the campus or anything. I thought that was so interesting because it's just so brave (laughs) to to do that. (laughs) Very risk taker. (laughs) So I'm glad it worked out. Super uncharacteristic of me either. Like I, (laughs) I am like always the planner, always 10 steps ahead. Like I will research a restaurant and the reviews and the photos inside a restaurant before I eat there. So the fact that I just didn't even do that for the college (laughs) that I ended up attending is pretty crazy. But if that's the greatest risk I take in my life, then I think I'm doing pretty good. Yes. And so tell us about what you were involved in at Gonzaga and how, how those involvements came to be. Sure. So my freshman year, like all freshmen, I kind of struggled with having so much free time (laughs) because I was kind of the the classic overachiever case in high school. Uh, So then I got to college and had free time and didn't really know what to do with myself. So I immediately joined mock trial uh, at Gonzaga. Pretty big time commitment, three days a week, 7 to 10 p.m. It was really hard, but I'm super grateful for it even today because I met a lot of really good friends through it. And I guess now that I see it, really good connections. And so I did that my entire freshman year until obviously COVID hit. We finished our season. We were in nationals in Chicago when the world kind of shut down. So at least we got a full season in. But then my sophomore year, I joined Parent and Family Crew, which was now through New Student and Family Programs. And I interviewed for it in February of 2020. And I did it just as like a volunteer thing because I remembered Parent and Family Crew and the previous director emailed me the day after my interview and offered me a job inside the office. So that's kind of how I got grouped into the office of, uh, you know, Parent and Family Relations and then New Student and Family Programs. And then that same month, February 2020, I interviewed to be in uh, RHA, Resident Hall Association. So I did that. My entire sophomore year was kind of weird because it was during COVID and I was supposed to be planning events, but I had to plan events for no people. Um, It was 
almost exclusively Zoom bingos and things like that. Um, and then my junior year, I was involved in new student and family programs in a pretty big leadership position. And then my junior year as well, I started as a climate literacy fellow in the Gonzaga Center for Climate Society and the Environment. It was the first year they decided to do it. It was in 2021. And it was a group of four of us. And we created our own lessons about climate literacy. So climate change, renewable energy, and went to Spokane Elementary Schools. And that was crazy. It we were about to go into schools and then the really big Omicron surge hit. So we were late with it, but super proud. I stuck with both of those jobs until I graduated in December. And it was just, I, you know, obviously I met some of the best people through it like you. Um, and okay. like, I'm really grateful like for those jobs. And it's something that I never really expected is that I would make friends through my jobs. But I realized like even in the few weeks after, those are the people I'm still talking to. <laughs> like, it wasn't necessarily the people in my classes, but it was my old coworkers that I had. Okay, so you're involved in a lot <laughs> in undergrad. And who was a person of influence that uh, you looked to as a mentor during those times? Sure, yeah, I guess. Um, I don't know if it's one specific person, but multiple people is the professors that I met. That was also kind of an unexpected benefit of Gonzaga that I didn't even really think about because, you know, you hear like, oh, professors are professors. But um, I guess I could pinpoint one genuine person. It was my mock trial advisor my freshman year. Uh, it's Vic Gumbar. Um, mm -hmm. He was like the most supportive person I had ever met, whether it was mock trial or not related, probably gave me the like greatest like sage advice his classic one-liners that he'll just put out and then I wouldn't see him again for like eight months and <laughs> see him again and then he would give me another piece of wisdom and that would carry me through again um like a leprechaun <laughs> like I would not see him at all and then he would be like don't forget who you are and then disappear <laughs> in my life but super super important especially as a freshman just like always kind of reminded me not to take things too seriously I think that that's important being involved in so many things this is where a lot of people find a downfall is that they take it too seriously. Like, it's not that it's not serious because it is, it's a job, it's school, but right. it's at the end of the day, it's not that serious. And just having those people around in my life is really important because I'm a super serious person. So I kind of need those like uplifting reminders of being like, Hey, listen, like you're fine. This is going to be okay. But definitely professors have been super important for me. Obviously, you participated a lot in undergrad, but how did you stay afloat academically and handle all that you were doing mentally and be able to be successful socially as well? How did you handle all those things? It felt like I just figured it out, right, as I was graduating, uh, which I think is like, that's kind of how it works, right? Um But I guess I think I mastered, I felt like I mastered the art of being alone pretty well of like knowing when I needed a study buddy or knowing when I just need to disappear for six hours in the library and work uh, because I know myself and like also just knowing my work style that 
I'm not a super like long haul worker. I do it in short bursts of like two hours. I hit my two hours and I'm done. Like I need a break. I need something, whether that's a break with my friends, a break reading, whatever, watching a show. I am like queen of consuming media. So that is like <laughs> always something that Casey for good and for bad. But so I think just like learning myself and how I work was probably a key because I remember freshman year, I felt like I was trying to do too much. Um, of where, you know, I would try, I would see people go to the library for like the entire day and I would try to do it too, but I learned that I'm just not that person and that's fine. Uh, so just like understanding myself, uh, I think was a kind of a key and like also recognizing that valuing, valuing my friends and my social relationships, but also realizing when I need a night off of like, it's okay if my friends are going out or if they're going to another friend's house for me to stay home kind of getting over FOMO is like an evolution and something that I feel like I'm still going through, yes. but just recognizing when I need to step, take a step back, um, but also recognizing if I might be isolating myself. So it's, it's not an easy thing. Like I still find myself even now that I'm thousands of miles away from my friends um, when I maybe need to like be more present in my social relationships and times when maybe I need to take a step back and think about myself. Uh, so it's always a balance and I feel like it's going to change as I get older, but it's something that I understand far better now. And I think that was the only reason why I was able to make it through my three and a half years, like through COVID and everything. I don't know if you felt this way, but environmental advocacy at Gonzaga is not prominent on the campus for the average student. And so can you talk us through what it was like to be a climate fellow at Gonzaga? Sure. Yeah. I, I think in general, Gonzaga students kind of lack in advocacy. We're not that kind of campus. I've talked about that in multiple uh, classes that I've had. It's not a bad thing, but it's not really a great thing either. I just don't think that we maybe have the stage where students feel comfortable enough to take up some of those big advocacy roles, especially when it comes to the environment, because we still have Gonzaga still is investing in fossil fuels. So like us as a university maybe doesn't have the best image when it comes to environmentalism. And it's hard to tell because I ran in a really specific crowd of like everybody in my major but when I would talk to others about the environment or my classes or the work I was doing, uh, it was weird to see the knowledge disconnect of mm. things that I assumed were like common knowledge, but very much is not common knowledge. Like, for example, explaining to my friends exactly how greenhouse gases work or exactly what an increase in 1.5 degrees Celsius would mean for our planet. Like, Things that because of my major and the things I read on a daily basis and listen to feel like common knowledge to me and are treated like common knowledge, but it's very much not at, in our campus. And I think that speaks to like the greater public of like that's it's just not common knowledge. But the unfortunate part is that the consequences are coming too fast <laughs> for people to learn. But that's what I love so much about being a climate fellow is that these kids that we were working with. I feel like know so much more than college students already. We'd walk into a room, ask a group of third graders how many of them knew what climate change was and almost all of their hands shot up. It's both a good and like a sad thing 
because when I was in third grade, I had no idea what climate change was because it wasn't really my lived experience or reality. It wasn't going to be for a few more years, but for these kids, it is going to be a part of their lives. They have to know what it is. Even though I'm sure they're hearing different things at home from parents, they already are thinking for themselves, which I think is pretty astounding. Probably thinking more for themselves than college students are because they aren't maybe saturated with so much uh, negative media and so much information that they're able to, with the little knowledge they have, make some pretty big conclusions, which I always thought was pretty amazing. And Spokane is a conservative area. And did you ever run into situations with the kids that it became obvious how their families or their parents felt about climate change and environmental advocacy when you were in the classrooms? You know, I never personally saw it, but some of the other climate fellows this year did have an encounter with, I think, maybe just one or two students. But keep in mind, this is one or two students out of probably a thousand now that we've seen who had maybe a, a bit of a negative reaction that you could tell that it's for sure not the words that a nine-year-old made up. It's definitely just an echo of parents. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that something that was really special that we did is that we didn't try to use controversial or negative language. We always tried to keep it positive and uplifting. And even when we're talking about energy sources like coal and natural gas, we really want the ki- wanted the kids to know that like these things are important and they're still important to us now and they've helped us get to where we are but we're at a point that it's possible to have a different future. So always making sure to like, never like, you know, if somebody's dad worked at an oil rig, this kid isn't going home being like, you're ruining the planet. I guarantee probably there was some negative family reactions when the kids would go home, but that's kind of none of my business. So as long as it was good in the classroom, we were fine, but we were really expecting to see more pushback than we did. I went to classrooms for a solid year and I never had a negative reaction with a student. That's awesome. I'm glad that they were really receptive towards it because like you said earlier, it's something that is going to be part of our lives. It's going to be part of their lives. And it's something that no matter your political beliefs, it's something that we have to all deal with. Especially for the Climate Center at Gonzaga, they bring a lot of like speakers to the school, but that's it. And we support strikes like climate strikes, but there's really not a resource on campus or a support system for either professors or students to seek advocacy and like strong visions or strong demonstrations of advocacy. And I've talked about that in some classes about how we always say like, oh, you know, our campus is bad when it comes to this. But my thing was always, well, why didn't I do anything? I I think that that's, it is always like that, right? You can always criticize and be like, this campus needs to change. But I think the big problem is who's going to do it? Um, Because the traditional Gonzaga student is so overworked (laughs) and so involved that maybe we don't allow ourselves as much time to seek out those like passionate advocacy projects. Um, And I think that that 
not to get too like meta, but that is kind of like the um, overall image and uh, lesson of the world, right? We're all so busy working 40 hours a week. People have families, you know, trying to take care of ourselves that when it comes to advocacy, it, it feels like a chore almost, which it's absolutely not a chore, but it can most definitely feel like it. Um, and I really think that that's true for college um, and being an advocate and involved in advocacy in college is that it's just really difficult to be the first one to start it. Because even students on campus who are uh, strong advocates of racial rights, of feminist rights, it's hard. <laughs> it's an uphill battle. It, it's one that takes years. So I'm hoping that, you know, one year we'll have the fire. I, I think honestly that it's going to be so unavoidable that there will be stronger forces of advocacy at, in every college campus when it comes to climate and the environment. Uh, but it is something that we always talked about in our classes. But my thought was always like, well, why am I not doing anything? Why are you not doing anything? Like we can sit here and talk and complain all day about it. But in the end, who is actually going to fix it? And it's I don't think any person should have that responsibility. And I think that that's the that's the hard part. I should first ask, how do you define feminism? Feminism to me, I've like I feel like I've had multiple different um, visions on feminism growing up. But to me, in this moment, uh, it means supporting not just or supporting anybody who identifies themselves as a woman does not matter race, uh, uh, disability, anything. Recognizing our differences as women as well and seeking a vision of the future in which, in which everybody, no matter gender, race, anything, is given equal opportunity. And that whether that's equal opportunity in jobs, in education, in literally in leadership positions, just equal uh, opportunity. But I think the part of feminism that I'm most passionate about is recognizing um, intersectionality because I think that I was turned away from feminism in the beginning because I was served the like white woman feminism, hated it. And I just, I didn't like it. So I, because I thought that that's what feminism was, I was like, I'm not a feminist. I don't like feminism because I didn't like this like girl boss, we need to support all women. Like, I just did not like it. There was something about it that gave me a bad taste in my mouth. And it wasn't until I came to college that I realized what it was. And that was that in a lot of the early visions of feminism, it, it completely ignores intersectionality and the differences of race and on and on and on. Um, so it misses that equity part. So I think a huge part of feminism to me is seeking like an equitable future. Uh, for anybody who identifies as a woman. And how do you connect your view of feminism with environmental advocacy and, and what you hope for the future? Yeah, definitely. Uh, so there's like a school of thought in environmentalism called ecofeminism. Um, and it basically recognizes that the same forms of oppression of patriarchy um, that oppre have oppressed women throughout the centuries is the same type of thinking that 
has now caused the oppression of the planet. We call it mother nature, right? We gender nature typically as being feminine, the divine feminine of something to be conquered and destroyed. Um, Typically that Western ideology of like what is like wild and free is like woman, right? Um, And so the need to take it over and destroy it is has become gendered so i completely agree with it that this the same sort of violence that is shown towards women uh is the same sort of violence that is shown typically towards our planet and the environment so recognizing that these forms of oppression are kind of born from similar places also recognizes that a future as we move forward is one that recognizes not just a just planet, but a just planet specifically for women, right? Uh, That in order to envision a world where we're living in harmony with uh, the environment is one where we recognize, you know, feminism. And I think that because feminism, in my view, needs to be equitable, uh, in order to imagine a world a just world, an eco world, if you want to call it, uh, it has to recognize not just feminism, but racism, all of the isms, essentially. So it's it's basically that because all of these forms of oppression are so interconnected, whether it's from colonialism, racism, everything, that if we're to move forward, we need to keep all of those things in mind, right? In 50 years, if we somehow get it together, right? no more fossil fuels, we've transitioned. I don't want that future to be built for men. I just don't. It's not going to be just because those forms of oppression will still exist. Uh, So until you recognize that we're all entrenched in these same same forces of oppression, we're not going to get anywhere that I want to (laughs) be. I want to ask before we close out. So I am new to environmental advocacy. How do I get started as an advocate? What would you recommend I do as a normal person, a Gonzaga student? Sure. So we talk about this a lot in like environmentalism in within our classes of um, individual versus collective action, um, because basically because the world's ending it becomes kind of this like nihilist view of what can I do right like does it really matter for me not to use a straw or does it really matter for me to use an electric car yada 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 and there's the good and the bad to everything my view on it and take it with a grain of salt I think every environmentalist has a different view on this which I think is what makes it special is that like I think Step number one is educate yourself, whether that's books, whether that's podcasts, whether that's news, but news, you always have to be scared, like wary about basic is just reading. That's where I've learned the most perspectives and I've grown my own idea of what's happening. It can kind of get scary because there's so much information out there and you can kind of scare yourself into whatever, but you don't know the problem until you read about it. There's a billion documentaries out there that are so amazing about environmentalism and watching one about what's happening in the Amazon or about the wildfires in California. All of it's important and all of them have something to say. And I would specifically say, listen to um, environmentalists who haven't gotten the spotlight. So whether that's 
Black environmentalists, women environmentalists, specifically environmentalists in the global south who have been experiencing their climate changing for literal hundreds of thousands of years, but they haven't had the voice to say anything. Listen to indigenous environmentalists. I think that's my biggest thing, too, is just like don't listen to a single narrative of what's happening, but get a multitude of perspectives. And going back to the individual versus collective action, um, although that can feel like an individual move, it leads you to understand what collective action you want to support, whether that's what bills, like when they come up in the cycle for legislation, what bills you would support or uh, what candidates you would support, like what are their views on climate change, things like that. And that leads to more collective actions um, and joining movements, right? But really, I think it starts with the individual uh, because it and because the problem is so big and so scary and so present that I don't think there's anything wrong about taking those little actions that make you feel good, right? Uh, you're not making the problem worse by not using a straw. And I think that that's important. Um, but it's also recognizing that there's bigger actions at play that we need to look to the people like the big fossil fuel companies and the politicians who receive the money from the big fossil fuel companies. Those are the ones who could change everything. But just because you're not going to change anything doesn't mean that you don't do anything at all. So I am all for like, go read that book, go listen to that podcast, go buy that electric car, go buy that reusable bag, on and on and on, but also look to the future and understand like who and what do I want to support moving forward? Because I think us as humans, we're such like social beings that we want to be together. So just find what group you want to be together with and make sure that it's a good one. (laughs) Because I think with the internet, there's these really scary groups forming. So put in the effort make sure that you join the good side, right? Don't just hands up, say, I have nothing to do at all, but make sure to join something you're passionate about and something you care about. Um, and hopefully that that's, that's something that makes the planet better too. That was beautiful. Oh my <laughs> gosh. <laughs> last question what are you doing right now home in Colorado sure so I moved back home to Pueblo I am currently an interpretive naturalist for Lake Pueblo State Park so I work for the state of Colorado under the division of parks and wildlife and I basically am kind of doing what I was doing in Spokane I'm leading field trips at the park I get to lead uh, hikes with students and people who visit I get to lead my own programs um, all through the summer, which is super exciting. And I now get to integrate some like climate science into it, which is super awesome. And now my job is just about getting people outside because like I said, how to educate yourself, read books, podcasts, second best thing, go take a walk. You can't get people to care about the environment if they're never in it. And it's kind of a gentle reminder that what we have and what we take for granted isn't always going to be there. 
So I feel really fortunate to be able to take the skills that I had at Gonzaga and bring it back home because I didn't really think I would ever come back home because there's not a whole lot of job opportunities in my town. We're like an old forgotten steel town. So I'm really thankful that I'm able to use uh, what I've learned. I'm not going to stay here forever, but I'm really uh, satisfied and happy with where I am right now. And I think that that's all, all that matters.